Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian editor Ben Briggs. Don't forget, you can subscribe on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode of Over the Farmgate. This week, Farmers Guardian's features editor Emily Ashworth speaks to Alison O'Neill about how she found her way back to agriculture and now runs a fibre flock from what she describes as a little hill farm overlooking the iconic Howgill Fells. Alison's successful tweed business has gone from strength to strength, and her well-documented journey on social media has seen her rack up thousands of followers in the process. She's certainly living the life she always wanted out in the hills, but what does the future have in store? Emily found out more. Hi Alison and welcome. Could you just tell us a little bit about your background um, and where you grew up? Um, daughter, granddaughter of hill farmers. Um, so my grandfather farmed at Castle Hall Farm at Sedba. Um, and my dad farmed at High Branthwaite, Garsdale, Sedba. So yeah, from farming roots, um, and it will go way back because my farm family roots were sort of farmers from Garsdale. And at one time they were farming and then farming and lead mining. So as far yeah. as we can remember on my dad's side of the family, yeah, farming. So you obviously grew up and like you said, you had a bit of a break from farming. But... Yeah, well, we had the two farms yeah. um, and the little girl, I think I was like probably a lot of farmers' daughters where I helped. Um, but I probably didn't actually, truthfully, really help. So like I was there helping, but I wasn't doing the graft I wasn't yeah. experiencing the dirty side of farming I wasn't experiencing the death apart from perhaps seeing a grandfather or a father deal with it so that is quite often a shock um to a girl in fact a woman who later takes on her own farm because yeah you've often created this beautiful idea of what farming mm. is yeah. whereas you know the women and do help and are fantastic um farming helping you know with with the food and then I'm farming at lambing time and but my life and I can only talk about mine was mm. where I saw with the women the kind of the good side when there was something awful to be done like an animal to be shot taken to slaughter or dealt with um it was kind of down to the men you know granddad would take it away dad yeah. would deal with it um and yes we'd all get upset like all farmers do you know whether I would say whether livestock there's dead stock um so I did live that slightly kind of um idyllic I was I was like a little girl who trotted around the fields on a horse helping granddad and dad but yeah. didn't really probably get my hands that dirty um I certainly never lambed a sheep and yet I think in my mind I thought I had it was yeah hard. because you were there yeah <laughs> yeah it was kind of hard of that although I was kind of my initial want to keep sheep um, so I was a little girl, I don't know how old I was, but I can remember being one kind of really wet sort of spring night, uh, proper lambing weather where it was wet for about a yeah. week or two weeks. And the men kept coming in saying, you know, how miserable it was on the fields. And my dad sort of looked at me and came in with his jacket and under his jacket had this lamb that, you know, looked like it was barely alive, freezing cold. And he shoved me in a cardboard box with the lamb. Remember, it was kind of swaddled in this pink blanket and... In front of a fire and I can remember these right burning cheeks I had and I was told to kind of warm the lamb up so I remember cuddling this lamb you know poor thing probably needs strength in it um <laughs> but slowly you know I got hotter and hotter and this sheepdog kind of had its nose over the box looking at me but the lamb did come back from yeah nearly yeah. dead um warm enough and then I was given a bottle and told yeah. and that was it I think from that moment yeah. smelling that wool and being in that box and the red cheeks in my little mind when I, mean, I was probably only about four or five yeah. I decided yeah. I wanted to be a farmer or a shepherd okay. or have sheep and but it would change a lot before I ever did um by the time I was 12 both our family farms had been sold um my grandfather and father had decided there was no real money in hill farming, uh, or they weren't making a lot. Granddad was due to retire, and my dad just made a decision to sell his hill farm. Now, my dad was also, because I, I love this when I look back, um, he was also the bin man, and he was also um, a grave digger. Right, okay. So to supplement yeah. his small yeah. hill farm, 
it wasn't about the fact he could just make enough money from a few sheep and cows because small hill farms are small um, and hill farming takes all kinds of... All farming is different, isn't it, where yeah. you live? But up here, real hill farming, it is quite poor farming. You know, it does take a lot to make money from the land yeah. when you've got small acres um, and small amounts of stock. So it's always been supplemented. Um, and I suppose as a young girl, I'd never realised... Yeah. My dad had to do those yeah. other two jobs. Anyway, they made the decision to sell up. And because my family very much, um, matter of fact, um, yeah. Yorkshire farming people. Um, and I was always the sort of, I was always this slightly dreamy, rose-tinted spectacle little girl. Yeah. I kind of still am a lot mm. older. <laughs> and I was a bit like that. And they were a bit like, well, that's what's happening. Or, you know, getting yeah, used to it. So it was yeah. always a bit. <laughs> and I was... I mean, I was lucky we moved to the village, we had land, we still had a few sheep, yeah. I had horses, because that was yeah. the thing. Um, but I still had this kind of thing that I was like, I felt a bit... So I would then, like, go to everybody else's farms and help them. Yeah. There was always that want to kind of be around... I think when you're from... I'm what um, my grandma was called, because my grandma wasn't from farming stock. Okay. She married my dad, neither was my mum. But I always had that... Granddad said, like, born to it thing. So, Granddad yeah. always said, you're either born to it or you're not. Like, not. So, yeah. it was, I <laughs> kind of was. Yeah. So, yeah. I, in a strange way, I kind of wanted to be my granddad or, or my dad. Mm. Um, and when I was little, um, I think about 12, I can remember my grandma being appalled because I'd said that I wanted to be just like Granddad. I wanted to spit, swear and smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and ride around on a tractor kind of thing with a dog. Um, but I'd also witnessed that, for me, my view of farming seemed far more attractive if you were a man because I got to go to auctions with Granddad where they yeah. had roast dinners, sold sheep and yeah. gossip. Yeah. And I love that because they always say that women can gossip. And yeah, I think auction marts, I've learned more yeah. things about other people. <laughs> yeah. um, and I love the whole thing of grandfather and dad making decisions about stock. I loved them deciding what tops to use and yeah. tops and yeah. stuff. And, I wanted to do that. I didn't just want to be kind of the woman in the kitchen making scones and waiting for the man to come in and cooking tea. And yet helping on the farm, I kind of had this vision that I wanted to kind of be the farmer. And I know women can be farmers, but when I was little, you know, I'm talking kind of like a good 40-odd years ago, 45. There weren't many women farming in their own right 45 years ago. It was lots of farmers and their wives at working as a brilliant team but you never mm. heard of if you yeah. did it was kind of you'd my fa- we were great friends of Hannah Hawkswell so we knew Hannah and Hannah was eccentric but apart from her I can never remember ever going to any farm growing up where it was kind of just a woman farming and if they were it was because her husband had died so I, yeah. I didn't sort of have the, any role model to kind of think. So what happened in those years before you you finally came back to farming? And that was it I left home at 17 and I traveled I was quite a rebellious girl uh, very opinionated very much my father's daughter <laughs> um I think a lot of it was because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and I sort of went off um did lots of jobs lots of countries mm. but the common denominator was always animals nature yeah, and yeah, nurture. Yeah. Yeah. I love looking after things that yeah. seems to be it uh, the caring of animals um, and the land, really. So wherever I was, it was always about wanting to kind of grow something, help something, nurture something. Yeah. And animals were always. Yeah. Um, but many years later, um, I can remember being, I was actually working for the government then. And I was in a room with a load of ladies and we were doing a job which was laborious and boring and looking through lots and lots of files. And yeah. to pass the time, we'd all said, why don't we... We didn't really know each yeah, other. Tell yeah. each other a little bit about our yeah. lives and where we're from. So everybody else chatted. And then I started recalling my grandfather and the yeah. swearing and yeah. <laughs> And then the end of it, I think I've recalled kind of the life. And, and this one woman turned around to me and she said, Alison, what I get is it sounds like you really miss it. Yeah. It seems yeah, strange yeah, yeah. that... And when she said that, I thought, I did think, oh my goodness. And I had yeah. this, sounds probably to some people, random... I had this kind of like um, a weird feeling that I just had to return to the land. I had yeah. to come back and do what my father, grandfather, great-grandfather had done. I just felt I needed, I wanted to farm. Where were you? When you say you worked for the government, were you I in London or something? Okay. At that yeah. Point. yeah, and um, 
I was with somebody then and I kind of said to him, I'm going home yeah. to find a farm. And yeah. he did sort of say, you can't just say you're going home to find a farm. You know, you haven't got any money, which I didn't. Mm. He didn't. Mm. Um, but I did within six months. We packed yeah. up and yeah. we came back to the valley I was born in. And I probably announced to most people that I wanted a farm and they laughed. Um, and a lot of them would say there's no money in farming and I couldn't buy a farm and I had no history of farming so how could I then suddenly just decide to get a farm um, and that was it so this search for a farm began. Um, so after you decided that you wanted to come back to the industry how did you find this farm which is Shacklebank Farm? For two years I looked for farms and yeah. I was turned down from quite mm. a few tenancies, particularly um, National Trust farms, yeah. and asked about history and the fact that I was a farmer's daughter didn't impress anybody. Yeah. Um, and the fact that I hadn't got a CV, that I'd, I hadn't done any farm. I hadn't gone yeah. to college. I hadn't actually farmed. Um, and then out of the blue, I saw a tiny advert in the farming pages of our local paper, which no longer exists, which is sad. So our local weekly paper that used to have a whole two pages dedicated to farming and farms. No, no longer does that. Yeah. It's gone, which, again, is a bit of a sign of the times. But there was a tiny box, um, and it just said farm to let, apply and writing. So I did. Yeah. Um, it soon came to light that it was a very small farm, 37 acres, on a hill, who lots of people were applying for. Mm. It was seen as a start of farm or an end of farming. Um, and then the word in the village... Uh, would be out where I would say I'd applied for it and uh, a few people said we don't stand a chance and mm. um, there was like many people applied so I just sat down wrote the kind of letter uh, very truthful but yeah, there's yeah. no money but I wanted to farm I wanted to yeah. start I did say who I was born yeah. to up here there's a great uh, thing I'm sure in most farming uh, communities where the first question you get asked when people meet you is how are you bred how's to bread yeah <laughs> <laughs> Who are you from? House to bread. Is that I your love sheep? That. Yeah. Is that your cow? It's like not bothered about you, but how are you bred? Who are you bred? Lines, so yeah. House to bread was the thing, and it's important. So it seemed important to put that I was a win, uh, W-I-N-N, and wins okay. are in this area. There's lots of them. So I put that in, and big churchgoers, uh, my family, uh, well in the community. So it seemed important to put yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. it. And yeah. I think like most of the people, I went through the process. I had no idea about putting how much to pay for a farm mm. because this whole thing of tendering for farm to me seems crazy. It's mm. like going into Marks and Spencers and saying, I'll, I'll I'll decide what I'd like to give you for that jacket and if it's the right price, I can have it. So it yeah, didn't yeah, seem yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. seemed a strange thing, but... Mm. Again, I reality I put I didn't really have much money, but we were willing to improve the farm. I'd been to the days viewing, and the days viewing showed me that there was quite a rundown farmhouse, mm. and a lot of work was needed yeah. by saw clearances, and it was quite a big job. Yeah. Uh, it had yeah. been intensively farmed. That was it, and I never thought I'd get uh, the place. And then we got the farm, and yeah. it was brilliant. Very excited. Uh, but the, the truth was, when we came here um, to this little 37 acres... So, it, so I'm going to say it was here. Yes, it was yeah. Bank Farm. Yeah. Um, and it, for me, it was definitely one of the happiest days of my yeah. life because I was yeah. quite excited. And what I loved was, and this is kind of part of what I'm writing at the moment, I was given this. Now, this doesn't exist anymore because the door's yeah. gone. Yeah. But I can remember going to collect a key. And, and this key's an enormous, great big old cast iron yeah. key. And that, to me, was like all my dreams come true. And it sounds a bit of a thing to say, but it yeah. was. It was like my key, my farm. Yeah. That farm that I wanted at the age of 12, I'd waited all those yeah, years yeah, for. Yeah. This was a key to yeah. it. And it, was, it sat in my pocket and it was like a pocket full of possibilities. With yeah. This big old key. Yeah. And that was kind of very much the girl then um, who was actually heavily pregnant with my daughter Scarlett. Okay, yeah. Um, and we came, Wow, okay, so it really was all going on. <laughs> yeah, we came to Shackleback Farm on May, the 12th of May 1999. A good sheepdog. Yeah. Um, an old four-wheel drive, a dodgy trailer, a few hens and a couple of fell ponies and that was it. And we had £60 in the bank. And that was my start in farming. <laughs> but for me, I'll never forget coming in the farmyard, 
I'll never forget the that warm breeze, the smell of bluebells. Mm. Uh, the, the next process really was, um, this had been the girl with the rose-tinted specs because mm. the reality then of farming hit in. Mm. Um, and we didn't have any stock. So with £60 in the bank, <laughs> then uh, buy sheep, cows, tractors, trailers, you name yeah. it, was going to be a challenge. There was no uh, help from either family because of various reasons. We were on our own, happily on our own. But um, the next stage was, and, and I also felt, um, I think because I sort of said to so many people, I was going to run this farm. Mm. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. A lot of pressure to really fill it with stock. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first sort of process really was we got lots of fields with grass, so we decided to let it grow. Um, and if nothing else, make hay and sell it. Uh, that was the first thing. Whilst I was putting the word out to any farmers that I knew that I was looking for some sheep and it'd have to be cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my dream was Ruffell sheep, which yeah. is what I breed now. Um, but they were going to be too expensive. So I had to be real and look at um, sheep that other people perhaps didn't want to make a start. Mm. But we, we, we did the hay meadows. We, we got people in and we cut them. Yeah. Um, and I can remember my first initiation to farming and something I'd obviously forgotten yeah. was how we got 800 bales to lift up a field. Yeah, okay. And there was only John and myself. And yeah. I was yeah. then nine months pregnant. Um, so my first do at farming was John and I with um, a borrowed tractor and trailer. Mm. My brother came to help. Yeah. Um, and I helped lift 800 bales at nine months pregnant. Did you then go into labour? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I never forgot the sores on my hands. Yeah. It was red hot. Yeah. And I was like the side of a house. I mean, yeah. I was enormous. <laughs> and I can't, obviously I was a young, younger, but I can't even imagine now lifting yeah, yeah. two or three hundred bales yeah. whilst nine months pregnant, lie down. And I can remember when my dad came up, because my dad um, had had a heart attack, so he couldn't help. Mm. And my dad came up and seeing me like nine months pregnant, enormous, red hot in the middle of July lifting 300 bales onto a tractor and then sitting on this stool so I was exhausted he just turned around to me and said Neil lass that's now your grandma is doing yeah. that and then she'd go and bake, bake yeah. it <laughs> so, so I felt like this is farming and suddenly this girl that had, had this like I used to ride around on the horse watching yeah. my dad yeah what did everyone else do this yeah sores on my hands and I sat and uh, there's actually somewhere horrifically there's a picture of me sat on a, a stool getting exhausted um and I thought this is farming and that's when it started to kick in that yeah, yeah, it, this yeah. was the reality yeah um and then at four o'clock in the morning I rang my mother to say what does it feel like when you're about to have a baby and she yeah. goes I think you're about to have one. She yeah. said, "Did you get a <laughs> So yeah, the nine hundred. The well, it was three hundred bales. Yeah. I suppose it was eight hundred, but three hundred bales. Um, and red hot weather in July brought yeah. me into labour. So yeah. that's it. Next morning, I had my daughter Scarlett. So not only a new chapter in farming, a new yeah. chapter yeah. in motherhood as well. Baby, which, so yeah. it, was, it, was, it was all going on. And naturally, the newborn baby was more of a shock than the farming. Yeah. But, uh, but Scarlett came home with me and, yeah, I got the farm. I felt I'd got everything kind of I'd always wanted. Um, I also remember my grandma, who was 90 then, came up to see the baby and the farm. Yeah. Um, and she's granny from Sunderland. And... She was such a hard worker. Um, and I'll never forget, she leant against the fence because, bless her, she got terrible arthritis and lovely woman. And I always remember she looked at me and she looked round and my mum was kind of similar. And she just said, it's all good luck to me, really. Um, but she said, last, she said, she said, this is beautiful, she said, but you'll never live on with you. It'll mm. be hard work. And I always remember those words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, as you know, it, farming is hard graft. Um, and I'd sort of done that thing where I wasn't expecting a man to do it. I'd decided that I was going to farm. John was a, a carpenter. He was going to do his job, but and he helped, but the farm was for me to yeah, run. And it, yes, yeah. it was. It was that kind of romance that I'd got this beautiful farm. It was middle of summer. I got this baby. You know, everything was perfect. I felt a little bit sort of almost darling buds of make slash James Herriot, all creature. You know, like all this was going on in my head, and mm -hmm. I had notions of romping through meadows barefoot in yeah. dresses <laughs> yeah. looking gorgeous with my new baby and lambs frolicking around me and calling myself a shepherdess yeah. but 
the reality was about to kick in. So you found Shackler Bank. What happened next? How did you go about stocking the farm? That was it. So sheep didn't have any. And then very slowly, word had got out from farmers that mm. I wanted to buy some cheap sheep. Yeah. Uh, big mistake. Um, and granddad and father had always bought mm. the sheep. Um, yeah, farmers started arriving with trailers on the way to the cast sheep sales okay. to see if I wanted to buy them. Now, cast sheep are the sheep yeah. that the farmer no longer wants and they're being cast out for a reason. Uh, now, sometimes the only reason is they're older, yeah. they've been up high, they're, they're not producing as many lambs, but quite often it's because they've only got one bag, they've got no teeth, or there's been a real problem with them. Mm. And my naivety kicked in then because I very jollily would say, how much do you want for them without checking them? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The trailer, the trench sheep in, I'll have them. This was it. This was the kind of the woman that thought she could just farm. No, <laughs> And the trailers kept coming, and when I got to a certain number of sheep, I decided that was kind of enough. Never thought to ask what had been wrong with the sheep, but I thought I needed to fill the fields because I felt everybody was kind of watching to see what yeah, I yeah, yeah. was going to yeah. do or not do. Yeah. Um, anyway, I got lots of sheep. The last trailer to arrive was from one of my uh, relatives, George Wynn, and he came and, and basically gave me the sheep. And it, one of the sheep in the trailer uh, had kind of one horn. He said she'd got no teeth and they were all Swaledales. Mm. Um, and I named her Rosie, which was, again, another kind of crazy mistake because they always tell you not to name sheep. Sheep, yeah. yeah. But then I've gone full circle. Um, <laughs> and that was it. And the minute Rosie trotted out, I fell in love with her. And I started mm. to do that thing that most farmers will tell you is to not name sheep, not get favourites yeah. and not start to look at yeah. sheep. And I was kind of doing it. Then, which is, I'm talking 22 yeah. years yeah. ago. Um, I had the sheep. I felt quite like I'm the woman. I've got the farm. I've got the sheep. I've got the baby mm. doing it. Um, then I didn't have a tup. And then mm. I couldn't afford uh, tups. So again, I did call on uh, kind of farming community. Then everybody got tups. And mm. two lads turned up with a trailer and said they'd got this old tup uh, that I could borrow. Seeing that my grandfather had done their grandfather favour years ago okay. uh, but when he got out the trailer it was to me uh, and I wasn't really into my breeds of sheep yeah. I was only brought up with Raphael um, it looked like some sort of white rhinoceros sort of rare breed of <laughs> kind of thing and it came out the trailer like full gallop yeah. it was in fact a north country chiviot <laughs> with a great big nose but he was enormous and I was like bloody hell but at the same time I did sort of think that looks like a good talk um, again couldn't catch him and they sort of said grab him and hold on to his ears and I remember kind of riding this yeah. took round the yard <laughs> them laughing at me and I think right from the start I was clearly going to be <laughs> to watch want to watch wasn't I uh, but I got him into the field yeah you did it yeah forgot to rattle him that wasn't on my Richter scale about that you rattle sheep anything to do the colours never thought about it um <laughs> and the good thing was Rose was the first to be took so she yeah. was my kind of benchmark of, yeah yeah at yeah, least okay. I knew when my first lamb might arrive yeah yeah kind of because hopefully yeah um and then the sort of the autumn came and went and scarlet grew and sheep seemed to get took till I got no idea yeah. Um, and I did have um, a great neighbour called Thomas who would turn up in a blue land rover smoking a fag and usually tell me all things I'd done wrong. So yeah. he'd <laughs> things like, you've not, you've not marked them tucks, yeah. you know, haven't I? Yeah, uh, You should have done, you'll have trouble in spring. you know. And he'd always turn up and say, them sheep are a bit old. Mm. And I'd be like, oh, I know they are Thomas, but it's all I could afford. And he'd say, yeah, you'll have trouble in spring, it'd be like lambing your granny. Yeah. And I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean, Ethan? <laughs> But it was all, and he thought it was yeah. funny, and he'd just drive off. He never. Mm. Um, oh, but he actually brought a present when Scarlett was born. I should read that he did actually bring a present for Scarlett, a, a lamb, a late lamb. Oh. And she got called Galoy because Scarlett would mumble Galoy Galo, as a okay. baby gurgle. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, don't yeah. Ask. But bless her, Galoy only went to sleep in May this year, so Galoy lived till wow. she was 24. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Broke my heart. Amazing. Amazing sheep. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we had yeah. her, and that's another story, mm. but uh, that was Galois, so she was kind of the first yeah, beautiful okay. girl. Um, yeah. So that was that. Went through winter, spring came, really didn't have a clue when my lambs were due. And it, I love it because, you know, when I read all the farmer's garden, like, you know, when your lambs are due, took, you've all, now it's all kind of charts. Uh, mm. Lambing at this day, it's my first yeah. batch, they've been scanned, I've been twins. Yeah. So yeah. Me, having a clue. No. <laughs> I'd like hear farmers talk at the feed station. I'd be yeah. like, hmm, no idea. Yeah. Don't know. And I was actually at that thing where a very 
Alison thing, or is it a woman thing? I don't know. But like at school, when you really don't know the answer, when mm. the teacher says, is there anybody in the classroom who doesn't know the answer? Yeah. You're like, don't be hand up. Because no. you're like, oh, Fake no. it till you make it all the way. That's me. Yeah. Like me. Yeah. yeah definitely <laughs> in farming. Um, and I just didn't say anything. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know. But in my mind, I'd kind of got that. Rose was the first to be took. Rose, yeah. Just keep that in your yeah. mind. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was it. So of the winter I'd done now, I realised the thing that you shouldn't do. I'd fed them lots. So I just kept feeling sorry for them because they were like, bye, and every time yeah. they saw me, better feed them. Yeah. Now I know clearly it's six weeks before. So I just kept feeding them. And then the more I fed them, the more they bad. Line that up with the fact the tuck was enormous. Thomas's phrase of lambing your granny. Mm. They're old. Yeah. Problems okay. wrong with them. And my sort of idea of me romping around fields in sunshine in a nice dress, lambing sheep, it wasn't, it was with the wettest March yeah. and April we'd ever seen. Yeah. And it was kind of sleeting off the tops. And here we get the bad weather from the northeast. So when a gale starts blowing, it comes straight down Galster from the northeast oh. and hits Sedba. So we'd got rain, sleet, snow, very little grass because I hadn't taken the sheep to the fell. Mm. I'd kept them around the farm. It was a bit of a mire. Um, had got plenty of hay, which was good. Um, and it got to that kind of April, to, uh, just before I put end of March. And I remember my grandfather always saying about, you know, put tops in, bonfire night, fireworks. And then we'll see who's the fool on the 1st of April. So I had put them in, the top in on November the 5th, bonfire night. Still do, traditional. Yeah. And it was March the 31st and it was pouring down and miserable. And the girls did look big. I mean, yeah. I knew they were in that yeah. because they were in yeah. like barrels. Mm. At the top of the field, I noticed this sheep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I thought, I know the signs because I was a bit like that mm. uh, when I went into labour, but not in the field, uh, but in hospital. <laughs> well, I, I knew that feeling, that oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. And uh, and it kind of got worse. And she was at the top under the blackthorn hedge and it was just kind of coming out because, again, I knew for my grandfather, he'd always say, when blackthorns in flower, lambs will come. You know, there's that white mm. in the all that and uh, and of course I knew it was Rose and I thought oh god you know and she was tiny she was enormous and I just had this thing like knowing that lamb was gonna have to come out yeah <laughs> she was tiny at school I mean my thing was at school was running so I was a fell runner and a 100 meter sprinter I was like I was always little but very fast and um I just kind of knew the only thing I do was like rugby tackle the sheep because I thought how the hell do you catch the yeah. sheep <laughs> You know, and so eventually I just kept running and in the mud I just rugby tackled her from behind and dragged her and me down the field in the mud, which is not for, which was awful, but it's all I could do. She couldn't time, have it. Yeah. And then all I could see was this enormous white nose and I just, then Thomas's lamini granny, big sheep, yeah. all that. And it was just, it's, it was identical. It was this rhinoceros was trying to get out basically and this tiny sheep. So I, no idea, um, and then the head obviously came first. It was massive, like mm. a, I will describe it like a rugby ball. Um, but then I did remember grandfather always saying, you need to have the feet, and all that happened. And the sheet was exhausted, and then I'd applied all the gels. So I had gel yep. going on, everything, in the pouring rain, on the snow. Um, and I don't know how, but I did get the head back in. Okay. And um, the only one thing apparently going for me, according to my father in farming, is I've got very long thin arms yeah so that's yeah. good for yeah. one thing uh so all gelled up I did yeah. have to get the feet in and I don't know how I have no idea how I got the lamb out and it was kind of during that in the mud kind of face down and that desperation suddenly like my appreciation of all kind of proper farmers came to foot you know mm. whether it's cows calves yeah. you name it it's yeah. not going to be pretty flowers and it's no. going to be in the mud but yeah I got through it and then when yeah. I got to like June July I had fields full of lamb and I felt I got something to sell. So that was kind of the yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. They weren't ideal. Yeah. Um, some of the mothers were like, never going to have lambs again. Yeah. Um, but I learned and that was the start. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But what, what I also then learned, talking 20 odd years ago, was I was never going to feel comfortable about taking them to slaughter. Because after all, I was a sheep farmer and that's what we did. So mm. I applied everything to become tough again. My grandfather and my dad had always taken animals to slaughter. They'd taken animals to auction. They made the decisions and I suddenly had to make the decisions and I didn't like it. So me taking them to the auction was like... I remember my grandma trying to explain, you know, she said, you're a farmer now, lass. 
you've just got to get on with it. And I, it didn't sit well. And for me then and recently, not now, uh, recently, it felt like playing God. It felt like... Mm. It's strange because I eat meat. I've grown up eating meat yeah, and I yeah, support yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah. But when it's your own, it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also kind of appreciated my father, my grandfather and other farmers where they still have to do that. doesn't matter how attached you've got to the animal. At the end of the day, farming means one thing. You're farming and that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Unless you find another way to farm something mm. different. So yeah. Call it playing God. But my grandma said what made it easy for her, my grandma's really quite a religious woman. Um, she would always night before gather them into a certain field and then the morning mm. she would always go and feed them and say the lord's prayer so yeah. i do so she yeah. would always call yeah. it the last supper for breakfast mm. which sounds horrific but that is still the thing and um whether it makes you feel better about yourself or not but saying a prayer for them and yeah, yeah, thanks yeah. was the thing and then i would do for many years you did go on to find an alternative way to farm and started biodiversifying into farm walks and farm stays. Tell us a little bit about that. So for years, continued to... I mean, I did other things to sort of grow the farm. I mm. had visitors stay, did better breakfast, yeah. diversed into kind of walks, um, became a walking guide. So when I wasn't sheep farming, during sort of the, the busier months, I'd be guiding people in the mountains um, or taking them while swimming or yeah. bringing people to the farm and shepherd's huts mm. tree houses so i kind of did i diversed a lot um in those years with all the different things mm. um, in amongst foot and mouth yeah which kind of didn't get it but like other farmers it was a year where all the gates were shut we didn't sell anything uh, which is not good then not long after that um husband left and i was on my own with my daughter scarlet but i just got on with it mm. like i always did like yeah do, yeah because yeah. it's what yeah. I, it's what i wanted um it hasn't been easy um staying on a small hill farm and mm. trying to make it pay that's always been yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. so i couldn't just leave the farm and find another job because i had my daughter and the farm and i needed to keep all the different aspects of what i was doing going so whether it was the walking or visitors or bed and breakfast it was always yeah. anything that would really pay the bit like everybody else anything that paid the bills but mm. i did um very quickly uh, work out with the B&Bs and the holiday lets and the walking that there's a huge amount of people who want to experience life on a farm and I started uh, oh gosh 20 years ago farm experiences people would come and learn okay. about lambing yeah 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 they, they'd actually come and actually get stuck into even mucking out buildings you know that was that was it did go really really well yeah. so I did all of that and it was lovely that people and they like the real side of farming as well they, yeah you were probably quite a he- you know a little bit ahead of the curve yeah, then I think that in that as well. I definitely was yeah. I was sort of doing it when other people thought it was mad I think really and then the whole kind of green eco sustainable farming kind of thing probably yes mm. I probably was mm. and that was just really I thought what have I got I live on a little rented hill farm in the Dales um and what I have got might I let somebody else, somebody else want to share it and I'll charge them for it so yeah. that was just that was it you then took it further and began to use wool to produce tweed um which was quite unusual at the time wasn't it how did that happen um i can remember complaining like lots of people do oh, don't get much for wool you know i sounded like a, a real moaning mini um and i can remember my dad turned around and says why are you moaning and i said oh you don't it's not worth anything and he said we'll do something about it yeah why are you telling the world that you don't get much for your wool do something about it and it was quite right. What is the point of me twining on that I'm not getting much for mm-hmm. it if I yeah. I would think of a way? And it really made me think and I thought, um, why can't I turn my wool or use my wool for mm-hmm. various things? And the first thought I had was tweed. I was buying and wearing Harris tweed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I thought, well, why can't I have like a shepherdess tweed? Why can't I have wool for my sheep? You know, it was like getting... 20p of fleece or something so i did stick my neck out 20 uh, 10 years ago when i have to say at the time i wasn't aware of anybody else doing it so mm. i decided i'd have a go and again few yeah. people thought i probably was a bit mad um or a bit bonkers because it was a big process and i didn't know anything about it um at school i'd was brilliant at art and then i started a new little journey so the first thing i did was just i loaded up my old four-wheel drive 
um, and my trailer and I had every bit of all I got from the farm and I just took it down to, where did we go? It's actually called Halifax Spinning Company. Uh, but it's actually in, not in Huddersfield, it wasn't in Halifax, but anyway, it's down yeah. there, say, yeah. Yorkshire. Um, and I turned up in some very big industrial yard with all this wool, um, thinking that I was completely mad. We went by a man who was just covered in wool and hot and came out of these enormous doors with all this steam and and um, I realised that the process of washing wool was a very dirty, smelly business mm. and I could see why a lot of people... Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then I went in and he showed me the machines mm. and it was all over my head and... And all he just said was, leave your wool. It might all be no good. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what we can do. So I just left it, came home, never heard a thing. And a few other people sort of said, oh, Alison, this isn't, it's not going to go well. I, nobody's ever used rough fell wool before. There was a bit yeah. of herdwick in there. was a bit of yeah. swaledale in there. Um, I can't see it working well. You can't make tweed from it. It'll be too yeah. rough. But, so there's always negativity around it. And... Uh, Six months later, because I actually thought, well, obviously it was ruined. This yeah. man's never contacted me. I just got this phone call from somebody at a depot at Carnforth saying, is, that, is Alison O'Neill? Yeah, and he said, we've gotten a couple of pallets here for you. He said, a load of wool in it. And I thought, oh, God, he sent the wool back. So off I trundled, yeah. thinking the worst, thinking, oh, God, if bloody wool's come back. And everything I've ever done, like I think most people in farming, is because, like I said, I came with £60, I earned money, but I seemed to spend it. There was always a balance, but I never earned a lot. Mm. Um, ticking over nicely, yeah. not huge amounts of profit in anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I came here, I wanted the life. I was never going to make a lot of money. It wasn't about being wealthy, but it was about the life I'd lived. So it was kind of, I'll never be rich in money, but I'm rich in other ways yeah. in the life I want to live so that's how I equate it even though to some people it might seem bonkers as well anyway turned with the depot huge pallets and I did get nervous so I actually got a my pen knife out and I opened the pallets I thought bloody hell it's gonna be full of like wet wool and but I was shocked because when I opened it it was full of these these, these were my first ones ever so this is rough bell. Oh. This is Herdwick, and that's Swaledale. So I mean, these are my little sheep that yeah. show what kind of wool. So when I opened the first one, it was full of that, and it, it does look incredibly thin. Yeah. But it was full of yarn. It was absolutely beautiful. And I kept thinking, I mean, this is something else I do, but I'll talk about it later. So we've gone from that, which now is actually a washed fleece that I now sell, a felted, to that, and I was like, I said it couldn't be done. But then I was worried as well because I thought, is it strong enough for tweed? Yeah. Um, so that was the first person, but came back, was like a little, a little sanger, a little, I don't know, I was like, bloody hell, how can I get that from that? They said it couldn't be done. That came back, really excited, and then I always have a couple of great girlfriends who always, like, task me, one in particular. <laughs> says, what are you going to do with that then? Um, so I was, like, so excited, and she sort of sat on a coffin, she goes, I know, darling, but she said, it's beautiful, isn't it, but then what are you going to do with it? Mm. Um, and I said, well, I'm going to be turned into... To tweed and she said are you really do you know what to do <laughs> so again I wasn't sure and I was talking to a friend about it and um my dad and I said to my dad I need to find somebody to my dad just said well why don't you go to Farfield Mill that's as an yeah. old fella down there he weaves he weaves yarn and I was like really and then of course what I forgot I didn't know and never listened in history lessons at school was Sedba and this area was built on wool I mean, Kendall itself was one of the biggest woolen industry at hubs in the north of England. And all these tracks that I follow on the Halgill Fells that I ride across are pack horse routes. Yeah. But they were carrying wool. I don't know what I thought they were carrying. They were carrying wool to Kendall. Because in Kendall, it all got washed and turned yeah. into yarn. Um, and Kendall's motto is wool is my bread. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I yeah, use yeah. that on my yeah. Twitter handle yeah. and I use it in... A, now I use it in ranges of, of things that I do. You then began to make these beautiful and unique tweed garments. How did you begin that that business and how did you go about spreading the word? So a lot of people now, if they're going to buy a bit of Harris tweed or a bit of cheap tweed and shop or a tweed jacket, £150 for jacket, £30 for a metre, you can't immediately, it's going to be £100 a metre just to buy the tweed. That's before you've turned it into mm. anything. So it's it's going to be a lengthy process. So I was learning. I'd have to kind of look for middle to high end. I'd have to share 
who I was, what I did before people yeah. buy it for me. So then my daughter Scarlett put me onto Instagram and Twitter, which I didn't want to do. And yeah. I wanted my customer to know that if they buy a dog lead, a rug or tweed for me, it's wool for me. I've done the work. Yeah. It's a little hill farm that I rent in the Yorkshire Dales. And it, it, it keeps me, in, it is wool is my bread. So it like allows me to eat and pay the rent. <laughs> Basically, it's not any kind of big company pretending that I'm this. So that, that was kind of it. I got the first bit of tweed um excited and on this kitchen table i made a jacket that i started to wear on my guided walks had you ever made i made it clothing before have you not no no have you did you have oh, you ever made a piece um, of clothing yeah, before? well when we were little my grandma would get me to do like skirts but nothing you yeah no I, I have to say i have the original jacket is somewhere in the house here now but uh, it wasn't well made it yeah was, it fitted me well <laughs> but <laughs> It wasn't going to be like out there with any Vivian Westwood creation. <laughs> but it was a jacket. I loved it. And I was like dead excited that I was wearing water. Now. Yeah. And I made this jacket. And, you know, I, I started wearing it on walks and it was great. I said nothing and ladies would say, oh, I like a jacket. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, it's one of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I was very, very lucky and fortunate to be involved in a, a lovely film that a local filmmaker called, made called... Um, Life of a Mountain is about Scarfell Pike. Um, oh, yeah. And I wore the jacket in that film, just chatting about mountains, yeah. Miranda. And I probably got about 135 emails. Your clothing and that would be like the originals. So yeah. I built social media because I was wanting to build a clothing yeah, yeah, yeah. woolen yeah. brand. It's yeah. not about me thinking I'm like original. Yeah. It wasn't me thinking like I'm anybody important. It was always aimed at creating a little... Well, farmhouse kitchen table business uh, yeah. and interest. So it, I think it's right because my most of my customers, I would say 90% are women, sometimes yeah. men who buy for women. Um, but, you know, they, they, they're like me. They've got kids, they've got divorce, they've got problems, they've got whatever. They've all got all this going on. Yeah. They don't want to see me. <laughs> they want to kind of maybe see... I have a few ladies, uh, I mean, a lot of my followers are from America, but I have a few okay. ladies that will follow... And one lady, I don't know what she does, but she follows me. She looks to see what I've been up to when she's on yeah. the tube going into work. Yeah. And she goes, I'm concrete, tubes, uh, whatever. You are my bit of country life. You're my bit of farming. Yeah. Where I don't get dirty, but I can look at it. It fills my heart. Feel happy, carries it through you. Yeah. Inspire me. And I go to work feeling in a better place. It's really taken off, hasn't it? The tweed business. So the, the tweed's slowly away, um, and that's gone well, and I've done bags with yeah. it, shades with it. So really, I commissions. So through yeah. social media, I get commissions. Um, I have a little website built. I designed it on a bit of paper, which was ridiculous. And then this fantastic woman at Kendall built it, put some photographs on it, hooked it up to social media, and it slowly sells away. Yeah. So I stuck to the tweed. What what are we what are we talking average for a jacket? What would you pay for one of your jackets? The jackets I would say average is about six hundred pounds. Um, that's the jackets now because of certain things that have happened within mm. my my ladies who then then I had to have ladies making for me because it yeah yeah, yeah 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 um all to do with COVID nineteen it's all had to almost come to a stop as that side of it because okay. they've not been working so it's still there. I'm still making the tweed. Yeah. So I'm selling the tweed. The tweed sells for between 75 and 95 pounds a metre. And the only way I tend to sell the tweeds and the jackets is I put them on Instagram, Twitter or other with just a little message. And mm. I just ask people to go to the website or contact me. And it's as yeah. simple as that. Yeah, I keep yeah. it really yeah. easy mm. because a lot of what I do is like really one-off mm. bespoke make. So yeah. like I might create in between the farm and everything else I do, I might just get a chance to do one jacket and a skirt. So I pop that on. It's yeah. a one-off. And then I'm very lucky to mm. sell very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, but I'd rather have a demand than have loads of stuff I couldn't sell. Yeah. So I'm kind of small budget yeah. industry. And it's nice because when people come, um, they're buying from me. And I think they also like to, they like to meet the sheep, uh, Shadow. And he's been good. He's good now. Um, they like to come to the farm, see it's real. And they yeah. like to walk amongst the flock and, and do what we're yeah. probably doing. So yeah. Yeah. that's what works for me is that kind of yeah. personal. Uh, the next thing I decided was, so when 
uh, it was just before COVID, I had a load of yarn that came back that for whatever reason wasn't good enough for tweed. It mm. was a bit of, lots of disasters, lots of businesses, and I nearly just basically dumped it into the ground. Um, and then I had this kind of really, again, the light bulb moment that it was coming to Christmas and I was thinking, what can I give people for Christmas? And uh, my friend ran me and she said, oh, she said, you don't do like wool dog leads, do you? And I was like, wool dog leads? And she's like, yeah, wool. I, you know, I remember once seeing one. And so I thought, actually, that's an idea. <laughs> so like the whole lot actually went yeah. uh, to be made. I don't make them. A lady makes them for yeah. me by hand into wool dog leads. And I gave wool dog leads that Christmas to anybody I didn't have. <laughs> they are. I, I mean, bet that's are. quite a good market actually because people go crackers for things for the dogs. And I did some they? horse halters as well. Yeah. Just where. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing prepared me for. I had like a hundred and I yeah. sold them in a day. Wow. That was two years ago, and then this last Christmas I sold five thousand. Oh my lord! In a month. But uh, at the moment, that's then this year. That's where all my wool went for yarn for dog wow. leads and horse. I haven't I haven't launched my head collars yet. <laughs> so they go for that. But then the other thing which happened uh, again by accident, chance was um, somebody contacted me, and I'd, I'd seen there were other people doing this as well. So it's not my uh, conception. It's, I think initially from Norway. I'd read about how people were turning their fleeces into rugs, felted rugs. So the yeah. animal stays alive, it's not slaughtered. Yeah. But you can buy a rug. Because normally if you buy a sheepskin rug, the animal's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and with this movement in the country at the moment by lots of vegetarians, vegans, and just people who generally want to have something in the house that nothing's had to die. Uh, and other people like them and the fact they're not. Um, so I had somebody test them by making seat pads and mm. felting the back, washing them in washing sort of lavender water and stuff like that and see if this can make it and also because I um got that from school design background and with, with the clothing and the bags and the dog leads mm. um I love design so I, I I got a lot of like you know expensive magazines from a friend all the homes and gardens and yeah I was noticing that the interiors were featuring more wool yeah. uh, rugs and in particular, the felted rugs and seat pads and some of the accessories, and actually some of them in cushions, and the whole it's kind of like a movement there. Um, well, like for instance, said these curtains, that's my wool. Yeah. So they all the curtaining, that chair, the lampshade, any products in my house. Yeah. It's all made from wool from my sheep. So the whole thing, and I've even done upstairs with bedspreads, cushions, curtains, and I love the fact that I've done everything. You know, yeah, like yeah, if yeah, somebody comes yeah. to me and says, "I want." These made by David in various Herdwick wools. Um, I, I've done whole houses where somebody said, my colour scheme is creams and browns. Yeah. Can you do me 100 metres of tweed? And wow. cushions made. Yeah. So I've done... Yeah. I love it. I just do one-off for one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't tend to share that on social media because a lot of my clients are private. They don't mm. want me photographing their houses and showing what's... So I kind of keep that side quiet. Yeah. But I get lots of... My favourite things, because Scarlett always says to me, Mum, if I see another one of you, like, please DM me. You know, let's <laughs> <laughs> put a question. But that's where I get my business. Is, yeah, and then, then they'll come there, we'll yeah. do an email or we make a phone call and we do a bespoke thing. Do you, do you, have you seen a shift? But I suppose because you've been doing it for over 10 years now, but have you seen a shift in, I guess people call them like conscious consumers, yes, don't they? Massive. You know? Absolutely. My customers that I Which have, is this, isn't it? Massive shift for products um, from farms, connection to the person. They want to see, in my case, the sheep. They want to know the story of the sheep. They want to know the life it has, the care it has, um, everything. And they want to actually see that flock through the year. They want to know how you look after them. Are they well looked after? And if they know all that, they'll buy mm. from you. And they've yeah. a huge shift and a turn in consumer purchasing of felted rugs, Mm. bulldog leads curtaining you name it and yeah. and what surprises me um yes it is a difficult journey and it's lots of money lots of ups and downs but what does surprise me is this is this continual burning and of wool well this was my next thing really because, because at the moment mm. wool and wool products are the biggest thing happening in fashion 
And people want something that they can buy that will last. They don't want fast fashion anymore, do they? They don't. It's slow. Mm. It's sustainable. It's green. It can be organic if you have it fine. Yeah, you do have to have, I think, a design mind. Mm. It takes a long time. It is quite hard work. Um, For me, and it's, I don't know, it sounds a bit saying that. I mean, I've, I've always wanted to. I'd love to have a capacity where I could go to the farms and look at their flocks of sheep and actually advise them as to yeah. how they can then turn all that yeah. into what products I think. Because I've got to know wool so well and the buy. Yeah. I mean, I buy wool from other people as well. I go in, I grade wool, I grade fleeces for rugs. So I now know what fleeces make the best rugs, mm. the best tweed. That side of consulting and helping others turn their wool into great products something, pro- something profitable yeah well then i could turn that into a job so yeah, i yeah, thought yeah. about that mm. um that's something i'd like to do so oh yeah so going back to these so then these the call them a felted rug um did 30 last year they all went mm. this year i got orders for about 100 i mean are you surprised at the point that you're at now from that first initial thought of when you yeah. spoke to your dad and said, I'm going to yeah. do this. It's and he taken was... 10 years. Yeah. It's taken a lot of money and loss. Mm. I've lost a lot. Um, yeah, I am. I, th- I think maybe 10 years ago, I probably was onto something. And sometimes I thought I might like to grow it, but I've never known how. I think it's better as it is. Mm. Um, yeah, it has surprised me. Because mm. it was just that feeling I had. But also what grew from that was I... I wanted to change from having flocks of sheep, which main aim in life was the fact I was going to then slaughter them, turn them into meat. And now my flocks and my sheep are bred for wool. So I have what I call fibre flocks. So when I breed sheep, I'm looking at their wool and not the weight. Completely different. All in all, it's been quite the journey, Alison. How do you feel now reflecting on it all? How the hell do you round up? Yeah. All that. Yeah. Know, foot and mouth, divorce, yeah. debt, you name it. And then the highs. I mean, for mm. me, it's been the 23 happiest and hardest days of my life. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. got me on my knees. But it's also, like you said, had me... I've been on this morning, I've been cooking on the show. I've been trotting around here with Matt Baker. I've been wild swimming waterfalls with him. I've done country file. I've been lucky to do, you know, debates about rewilding on television mm. i've done radio ramblings radio mm. four i've been very lucky i've had a lot of very well known and very famous people i've taken walking mm. barefoot walking while swimming clipping sheep did i ever think that would happen never so to finish what are your thoughts on protecting the future of our country's hill farms because we've seen quite a decline in them over the years is it through diversification is it through more awareness how do you feel about it all it was, I listened to lots of things about the hill farming because mm-hmm. I can only look at small hill farms or felt yeah. farms because that's what I yeah. do. I yeah. don't actually know anything about other farming. Yeah, it's difficult and they are going to disappear. In fact, um, this is probably one of the last little hill farms mm. around here yeah. because most little hill farms are being sold. Yeah, The houses are being sold quite often to second house buyers mm. who do want to live in the country the land is then being eaten up by bigger farms next door yeah they can't compete and again it's about i've chosen to live quite frugally um i don't demand i don't have big holidays i'm not into designer clothing I'm, i don't see myself every year twice a year going somewhere in amazing holiday yeah 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 um it's taken me all these years to even have a Land Rover, there's yeah. not a lot of money. So I have very little demand on what I see for what I want to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's difficult because if you have that, then you can probably survive, but it's still going to mm. be hard. So I yeah. worry that small hill farms, I mean, Prince Charles has started some sort of initiative. Yeah, 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 yeah. But do you think they need to look at, you know, other I've been revenue streams? for 23 years and mm. I've never, I've, I've benefited from a very small grant. Um, after um, after foot and mouth, yeah, a tiny grant to build a website. I've had a little bit of help from a couple of very tiny amounts of help. I've I've twenty three years as a tiny hill farm. I've had yeah. very little help. Yeah, to keep yeah. going. So all those little hill farms out there, I don't think there's a lot of help really. No. Not that they're saying they need help. It's not about help. It's about a hand up, not hand out, isn't mm. it? Um, yeah. 
But yeah, they're going to struggle. And I think the main thing we're going to have to do is diversify because I don't think you can survive unless you diversify. I, mean, I don't want to see them disappear because small farms, all these little, I mean, in, in like Italy and in France, they absolutely celebrate their tiny farms, don't they? There's a whole different culture, isn't there, about Here, surrounding food? I, I, and... I think they do celebrate our small farms, but I think you just, it's very sort of left to it. They are disappearing, disappearing fast, aren't mm. they? And it is, it is scary because I think the landscape will look completely different, different when they've all gone. And, you know, we want to keep our hill farms because when we drive to the countryside, we love looking at the beautifully laid hedges. I mean, all my hedges are, are laid. I'm in the countryside stewardship scheme. All my walls are rewalled. It's a patchwork. You know, I when I came here 23 years ago, I turned a huge field over to nature before it was kind of trendy to do yeah, it true, yeah. and it's now full of wrens woodcocks snipe frogs you name it it looks wild unkept butterflies newts it's taken 23 years to get that huge field like that and then i mm. fenced off all the woods so i could have bluebells and i think that working farming with nature trying to make a small hill farm pay uh, looking for support and grants i think at the end of the day it's coming for the government i think the government yeah. needs to look to support these small farms mm. so we can keep what we are we are a nation of farmers aren't we and, yeah. and most of them are small farmers and if we lose that we kind of lose who we are i think so yeah um but it, it's difficult like I said, it's very difficult because i might have managed to pull through with the wall but if I hadn't discovered the wall, yeah. I might not be here. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how long I'm here. I have a tendency, but my tendency has gone from ten years to five years to at the moment. Has it? I don't. Mm. I don't. I don't know how many years I've got. So yeah. I'm living kind of on sort of an edge. Yeah. Okay. Like many tenant farmers, I think, and I love it here. I want to continue doing what I do and and producing the wool and keeping the sheep, but I don't own it but what do you love about about life here i love uh, solitude yeah i like i like solitude i like the silence i love being my own boss well nature uh freedom i like the challenges um i like the seasons i like knowing when it's spring i mean spring is both beautiful and hard because it's yeah. time and yeah um, summer challenges of getting the hay in, but it's it's a sunset, it's a sunrise, yeah. it's, it's um, absolutely everything. And, and watching nature turn, I mean, the leaves turning each day, I walk the fields, there's a different colour, I see the dew on the grass. And I, I'm not a photographer, but with my little iPhone, I never miss anything in nature, every tiny thing. So I like to share that on my social media, so the turn of a leaf. I mean, I was yesterday packing her dog leaves mm. and loving it um, but totally distracted because the little beck down there is just full now of leaves falling yeah. and there was ladybirds yeah. on and I was photographing them and all of that the sky because where I am here we get big skies yeah big clouds yeah. so I think that absolute you know that connection to the land for me yeah uh living yeah. in nature you know my day starts with the sunrise end of the sunset yeah if I'm lucky um being part of it not missing a moment you know i like thunderstorms i like rain i like mud uh the rainbows yeah fire i all of it yeah. I, the life i think i'm very 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 lucky to have this and you know at one time i thought it was sort of just people kind of my age that loved all this but i've got a whole new following of, of kind of younger mm. followers who were kind of doing this sort of re going back to nature this sort of rewilding into stuff yes mm. you know yeah. like i did shop the wood burn and i was talking about how it was wood we cut two or three years ago and i think we just had it sort of morgan me old mm. socks and when i looked who the comments were coming from they were kind of 20 something couples yeah. yeah said yeah. we like this yeah, yeah and they were interested yeah. in the nature and they were interested in yeah. the environment uh, there's a whole new wave happening isn't there i think yeah of interest Which yeah is brilliant because these are our future that are going to be going mm. into government and helping small farms and uh, changing how we live. I think we need to go back to how we probably saw and lived, I think, 50, 60 years ago. Start and going away from the whole plastic thing and and local things and not, it's hard to do, you know, because we're all influenced by that. But 
yeah, so for me, it's just been, I feel like I am part of it. Mm, yeah. Rather than it being part of me. Thanks to Emily and Alison and what a journey it has been. It's just a small insight into the importance of our country's small hill farms and how diversification, in Alison's case, has been key to its longevity. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast platform so you don't miss any of the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. Until next week, from us at Farmers Guardian, thank you for listening and goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.